of our 50 Reasons to Visit Ireland. My name is Caitlin, and I spent a semester in Ireland. And my name is Joe, and I spent the first 22 years of my life in Ireland, and we both currently work at Crystal Travel and Tours in Boston. We're breaking down many things that make Ireland such a spectacular destination. It's an overused phrase, but there really is something for everyone there, and we intend to prove that. We have various themes we'll focus on, and within those themes we'll count from 1 all the way through to 50. Our current theme is arts and culture, and today, reason 11, is writers and poets. We made it to 11. We made it to 11. Can you believe it? No. Real quick, before before we get on to our other fun little uh, segments here, I want to give a special shout out to my wonderful, beloved, amazing friend, Josh who, uh, Joe, he sets an alarm on his phone to remind him each Monday when we have a new podcast coming out. So. Which is what all listeners should begin Everybody's to do Everybody's doing on. that, right? Naturally. Yes. Anyways, mwah, to you, Josh. To you. And to my mother for sending me on a quick message after every podcast she listens <laughs> to and corrects me with my misremembered facts. Aww, that's else. what moms are for. Yes. That's what moms are for. So, in the spirit of writers and poets... Joe, do you have a poem you would like to share with us before we kind of get into some background information here? I do. It's a poem that has been turned into a song um, that I really like, and it was actually sang at our wedding. Oh. And you might think it's this like really soppy romantic one. It's not really. It's uh, <laughs> it's a little different, but I. I really like it, and it's one of Patrick Kavanagh's most famous poems. And Patrick Kavanagh is my father's favourite poet, and I think he is probably mine as well. So, On Raglan Road, on an autumn day, I met her first and knew That her dark hair would weave a snare that I might one day rue. I saw the danger, yet I walked along the enchanted way, And I said, let grief be a fallen leaf at the dawning of the day. On Grafton Street, in November, we tripped lightly along the ledge Of the deep ravine where can be seen the worth of passion's pledge The Queen of Hearts still making tarts, and I not making hay Oh, I loved too much, and by such and such is happiness thrown away I gave her gifts of the mind, I gave her the secret sign That's known to the artists who have known the true gods of sound and stone and word and tint I did not stint for I gave her poems to say with her own name there and her own dark hair like clouds over fields of May on a quiet street where old ghosts meet I see her walking now away from me so hurriedly my reason must allow that I had wooed not as I should a creature made of clay when the angel woos the clay he'd lose his wings at the dawn of day. That's so sad. Sad but beautiful. Wow, well that was really beautiful. So sad, but... So sad, so Irish. So sad, so, so Irish. Yes, indeed. So perfect for a wedding, obviously. <laughs> Naturally. So let's talk a little bit more about where poems like that may have come from. There was a thing called the Irish Literary Revival, nicknamed Celtic Twilight, 
This was a movement of unfolding Irish literary talent spanning between the late 19th and early 20th century. It was closely allied with a strong political nationalism and inspired by the Gaelic League, which was formed to revive the Irish language and culture. The forefronter, or I should say one of the forefronters, but one of the head honchos of the Irish literary revival was William B. Yeats, W.B. Yeats, as, as the kids are calling him these days. Best known for poems like September 1913 and Easter 1916, as well as some other ones, uh, The Wild Swans at Cool and The Lake Isle of Inishfree. Tell us a little bit about W.B. Yeats's life, and then we'll get into a little I bit of the that's... poetry that was inspired oh, by I think that. that's a good idea. Well, Yeats was the first Irishman to win the Nobel Prize in Literature for what the Nobel Committee described as inspired poetry, which, in a highlight, artistic form, gives expression to the spirit of a whole nation. Quite nice, don't you think? Quite the compliment. Very nice. Born in Dublin, uh, Yeats actually spent his childhood in County Sligo, as well as much of his adult life in County Galway. And that whole County Sligo thing is where we get the term Yates country today, which I have a feeling we're going to talk about in a bit. From an early age, Yates became fascinated with Irish legends and the occult, which is a little bit creepy, a little bit too morbid for me. Uh, his early works were published in the 1800s, late 1800s, and they reflect this. However, the work that we are most familiar with today comes from the 1900s, where his poetry took on more of a realistic feel. Uh, so when someone mentions W.B. Yeats, you think of pieces like that. He was highly influenced by the rise of Charles Stuart Parnell and the Home Rule Movement, along with the momentum of nationalism that greatly impacted him. The best writers write what they know, as you know, Joe, and Yeats was really able to kind of capture the emotions and, and uh, actions and feelings and drive behind that pivotal time in Ireland in which he was living. Like all of the best poets and writers, this guy, of course, had his very own muse. He did indeed. A lady by the name of Maud Gahn, I believe. Yes, indeed. She was an English heiress and an ardent Irish nationalist, which is a bit, of, a, a bit of an oxymoron. It right? is a bit of an oxymoron indeed, yes. This was unrequited love that Yeats felt for her, which, you know, of course, <laughs> makes some of the be most beautiful artistic pieces that we know today. Uh, she went on to marry Irish nationalist Major John McBride, who is mentioned in some of his po poems because he's just so upset about the whole thing. Uh, this wasn't a successful marriage. They divorced. Surprise, so surprise. Yates continues to propose to her. And then, creepily enough, um, she has a daughter, and Yates goes after her daughter. Um, actually, the daughter proposes to Yates first. He declines. And then later he proposes to the daughter, and she declines. So he's just... How big of him, huh? How big of him, indeed. <laughs> he's not having luck with those gone women. Yates met another woman. Not much of a romantic thing going on there. More of a professional um, friendship and, and a, a matched admiration for yes. each other. Her name was... Her full name was Isabella Augusta Gregory, but she went by Lady Gregory. And before we move on to talk a little more about Yeats, it's definitely worth talking about later Lady Gregory a little bit, because she was good friends with a lot of the poets of the time, and she collected folklore in the Kiltartan region. Um, she was an Irish dramatist and theatre manager, and she went on to co-found the Irish Literary Theatre and the Abbey Theatre. The Abbey Theatre is a really, really famous old theatre in Dublin. She went on to co-found that with W.B. Yeats. She helped Yates with his playwriting and went on to write 19 original plays herself 
as well as a lot of material on the Kiltartan area. And Pretty she cool. is just she is one of these major figureheads in the um the Irish literary revival. And as I said, she used to um invite people to or invite poets to the Kiltartan area and uh and stuff like that to know rice and to just kind and of for a woman I mean, shoot the shit a little bit i guess pretty, yeah. pretty ballsy back in the day too Absolutely. to be that strong and that that driven anyway back to yates back to yates two of yates's poems that really stood out uh to me when i took a class on irish and british literature were september 1913 uh, i'll talk about that one really quick here because we have so much we want to delve into september 1913 is basically yates's way of telling the Irish people to wake up and do something about their situation. There's a line where he says, romantic Ireland's dead and gone. And it really just kind of reiterates, you know, you're not fighting for what you want, go do something. Well, time passes, and then the Easter Rising occurs. Initially, the Easter Rising was not seen as very successful because many Irishmen died. Yeah, it was seen as a disaster. A huge Thousands disaster. Thousands were imprisoned and yes. um, sent to... There was even a lot of the... The ringleaders, the figureheads, were shot and killed. On site, yes, exactly. By a firing squad. Exactly. However, later on down the line, the Easter Rising is seen as something that really sparked the... Ignited the flames, so yes. to speak, to get the Irish independence. But Yeats's take on the Easter Rising before that viewpoint came to be about was a whole kind of... He wrote this poem, Easter 1916, and his, his take was more of a... Um, you know, was this really worth it? Why did we do this? Should you, uh, what, was it worth anything? That type of a thing. So very contradictory, but I think it's very interesting at the same time. His other poems, like The Wild Swans at Cool and The Lake Isle of Inishfree, are also worth noting, wouldn't they you think? They sure are. Um, the Wild Swans at Cool was actually written about Lady Gregory, or about his time, I guess, at Cool. And this is the main reason, I guess, we want to talk about Yeats, is because of the locations and the people that inspired him to write a lot of his poetry. So as we said, he was born in Dublin, but he lived and spent a lot of his time in both Galway and Sligo. And in Galway, his time was spent at Cool Park and around the general Gort area, Kiltartan and uh, places like that. They're all, everywhere he writes about in that area is all, it's all in the same area. But Cool Park was the big one, and he writes he writes a number of poems about Cool Park. But the the most famous one is the Wild Swans at Cool, and it's just got some beautiful imagery of the the swans on the lake there, um, at the back of the park. And you can visit Cool Park, um, anytime you want. I guess I think it's open year round. Yeah, it's less than half an hour. I'm sorry, it's less than an hour from Galway. Um, and yes, it's where Yeats spent much of his time with Lady yeah. Gregory. And if you go in and go just past the car park there there is a tree where a lot of people have carved their names and initials and other things into it and originally that was started by people like Yeats and Kavanaugh and other poets and writers who visited Cool Park as a way to relax and I guess get some inspiration and stuff and their names are still carved into the tree today Which along is with super cool along with other people I can I don't think I bothered carving my name in there when I went because I didn't feel famous enough I not guess I didn't worthy, want to not worthy. yes but that's cool park and the other the most famous place that uh, Yates writes about is now referred to as Yates country so I guess that that makes complete sense but it's an uh, area around Sligo 
um, near Bent Bulbin and places like that. And one of his more famous poems, as Caitlin mentioned, The Lake Isle of Inish Free, and that one begins, I will arise and go now and go to Inish Free. And it's just, it's more of a a dream of kind of retiring there and how beautiful and easy and simple life will be. Mm. And um, actually after we got married, we went to... We stayed a night in Sligo in Mercury Castle there. Uh, we decided to have like a mini moon before we left Ireland because we, we couldn't afford a honeymoon for a while after. Aww. So we toured the um, the Sligo area in Yates country and we actually went down to Inishfree and it's a really long and windy drive. We got down there and we took a few pictures. It was beautiful, obviously. Um, but there was a, a couple there with a child and a dog and there something seemed fishy about them we were actually kind of <laughs> afraid we're like huh. what's going on here because they were there without a car and they were like pacing over and back and they were talking to each other but it turns out they had just gotten lost they, <laughs> oh, no. they um, had parked their car somewhere and taken one of the walking trails and <sighs> ended up there and had no idea how to get back to their car and they were wondering where they were so oh, no. we ended up kind of cutting out because we wanted to stay there for another while and tour go around the whole go around the entire um i think it's like a yates trail mm-hmm. but uh did you help them yeah because i mean it was going to get dark and they yeah. had been walking for like four Good. hours <laughs> so oh my we managed to find their car for them again and brought them back oh my gosh were, Yes, the, the trail Joe just mentioned, it's the Seven Woods Trail, and it's supposed to be beautiful. I haven't seen it for myself, but it's... Neither have I, because I had to bring that couple back <laughs> to their car. So you should go see it for us and let us know what you think, yes. Another fun Yates destination is Thor Lee, which is also referred to as Yates Tower. Yates resided there for some time, and it's got some wonderful artifacts um, that kind of when you visit helps you kind of get into the whole Yates zone and kind of see how he lived all of these places in Galway are all less than an hour outside Galway they're all um, in the same area Kiltartan Thorbally Lee and Cool Park they're all within Within a couple of miles of each other and they're only half an hour to an hour outside Galway so it's an easy little day trip if you want to do some Yates related stuff in a morning or an afternoon. And so. we can't talk about Yates without mentioning um, Sligo or Yates Country. It's a beautiful area of Ireland that's featured heavily in his poetry. As we mentioned earlier, he lived there for some time. Yates is actually said to be buried in a churchyard in Sligo. Said to be. Said to be. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> his gravestone quotes several lines from his poem Under Ben Bulbin, and the line reads, Cast a cold eye on life, on death horsemen pass by which is beautiful very and beautiful it is a very well visited grave as graves go but I'm sure. there is definitely a debate over whether his body was actually buried there or not mm. or is buried there isn't because there always a debate <laughs> with these things come on he died in france as far as i know and was buried there originally but then they exhumed his body and because he always he said he always wanted to be buried in the shadow of ben bulban and Ben Bulban is a mountain in Sligo. Um, so he said he always wanted to be buried in the shadow of Ben Bulban. Mm. But obviously he was buried in France first. So they say that they exhumed his body and buried him in Sligo. But... We don't know, do we? Nobody knows for we sure. We don't know. Dun, dun, dun. There is skepticism. Dun, dun, dun. Well, moving on to one of Joe's favorite poets, who he touched on a little bit earlier, Patrick Kavanaugh. 
Cavanaugh moved to Dublin in 1939 after working on his family's farm. One of his best-known pieces is The Great Hunger, which was published in 1942 and focused on the Irish farmer's poverty and living conditions. It's a very long poem, but it's worth checking out. It's only about two hours if you've got the time. I'll yeah, start no. reading now. Yeah, no. How. Another widely beloved piece is the one that Joe read earlier uh, that was sang at his wedding. So there you go. Fun little performance. Kavanaugh's reputation as a poet is based on the lyrical quality of his work, his mastery of language and form, and his ability to transform the ordinary into something of significance, which really is what poetry is all about, I think. Yeah, he spent a lot of his time speaking of the banal. We, they used that word when we, when we studied Kavanaugh in school. And it was banal, 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 but banana. making the <laughs> making the banal extraordinary. So like another a fancy banana. <laughs> Sorry, <Fair enough. laughs> I'm on food right now. <laughs> um, yeah, one of his poems is about him being in a hospital bed, I believe, and just talking about the things he sees from one end of the day to the other, and it could just be like, a, you know, somebody mopping the floor or the disgusting roofs of buildings outside his window or something happening in the parking lot below but he makes them seem beautiful and wonderful and um, not at all what they are I guess which is a which kind is of a, the true sign of an artist it's, yeah, I it's would a say, special right? thing to be able to do and I think Absolutely. it probably speaks to how he was brought up on a farm in County Monaghan in the middle of mountains and stuff like that sure so, yeah. sure well, if you are a Kavanaugh fan, you can visit Dublin and check out the exact seat where Kavanaugh got much of the inspiration for his poetry. There's a public sculpture of him sitting on the bench in Dublin, um, and it's on the banks of the Grand Canal. You can just kind of sit next to him and go, hey buddy, what's up? He might not respond, Take though. a nice picture and stuff. He, yes, exactly. Also, throughout Dublin, you'll find plaques dedicated in his honor, so Dublin... Uh. Dublin is a fan of, of Kavanaugh. There was also um, a Patrick Kavanaugh Centre located near where he was born and grew up uh, in Inishkeen in County Monaghan, and he did another one of his very famous poems, <laughs> Inishkeen Road, July Evening. So that was, you know, that's basically him looking out the window on a July evening and writing a poem about that. So it's uh, it's one of his good ones as well. So there is a Patrick Kavanaugh Centre um, in that town. Very good. So, yep. Speaking of someone that can take the ordinary and turn it into extraordinary is another poet we're about to talk about, James Joyce. His most famous works are Dubliners, Ulysses, and Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. He was born and raised in Dublin, and fun fact, he knew 17 languages. Pretty cool. Impressive. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I've read Dubliners in college, and I had a love-hate relationship for it because you read these stories, and, and I'm sorry, I should... I should uh, I should say here, Dubliners is a book filled with 15 short stories. So, you know, it's it's not one from start to finish, one type of thing. It was published in 1914, um, and it really gives you an, an idea, of, obviously, of what Dublin was like back in those days. So, love-hate relationship that I had with Dubliners. You read these stories, you watch these characters. It's kind of mundane, but little events seem to happen, and just when you think something big is going to happen, this this big plot twist, or this big climax, or whatever, nothing. No, Story's over. Nobody gets murdered. Story's over. Well, there are some deaths, but, <laughs> but you don't, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yes, yeah, so I can't say I loved them, but I grew to appreciate them, because 
similar to Kavanaugh, I think Joyce was able to capture the universal themes in everyday life that you find. His landmark novel, however, was Ulysses. The story recounts a single day in Dublin. It's modeled after Homer's Odyssey, sort of a modern retelling, and um, very interesting. A lot of people have loved this novel. Actually, upon its release, it was banned for having obscene content. So that's why it got so famous. They, exactly, exactly. If someone, <laughs> the, the only way to get someone to really, well, no, I shouldn't say that. As we know, when something is banned, everyone wants it. So yes, there was a censorship battle that took place. They, they said there were pornographic um, parts of the novel. Don't know. But the book's hype and everyone's desire only increased. And today, thousands of high school and college students around America crack it open. And, you know. There you have it. There you have it. There is a quote by Joyce that I love um, and kind of goes with his writing. And it is, For myself, I can always write about Dublin. Because if I can get to the heart of Dublin, I can get to the heart of all the cities in the world in the particular, is contained the universal, which I'm a big fan of. Yes, very nice. There are some Joyce places uh, if you are a fan, and the next time you're in Ireland, you would like to check them out, one of them being James Joyce Center. Its permanent exhibitions include the Joyce Study, which gives you an impression of Joyce's living conditions while he was working on Ulysses. You also will find the family tree of Ulysses in print at the James Joyce Center, this provides information on the many editions of Ulysses, from the very original all the way to the version available in bookstores today. You'll also find three documentary films that talk about the controversy over Ulysses, as well as uh, Joyce's contemporary legacy. And you can take a public or a private walking tour, the Dubliners tour, the Joyce and the Irish Literary Revival tour, and the Joyce pub crawl. Another spot. Interesting. Another spot worth checking out, which I'm bummed to say I have not been to, is the James Joyce Tower and Museum. This tower is best known for being featured in the opening section of Ulysses, so um, kind of make your make the reading come to life a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. It contains Joyce's letters, photographs, and many personal possessions. You'll also find rare editions of his work. And on another weird note, I feel like I keep having weird notes to say today. Notes, yeah. Yes, so there are actually several death masks of Joyce that are floating around, and two of them can be found here. Now, a death mask uh, is basically when you're dead. They take, I don't know if it's clay or what, they take some substance and they mold it over your head and then boom, you are forever frozen in, in that moment right Is there. Is that really any creepier than having a statue though at the same time? Mm. Because statues are supposed to be exactly like this. I guess, but, but I feel like I don't want to see someone right as they looked when they died. That's true. Do you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. the whole death thing takes it up a notch. But let's say you really want to see one of those for whatever reason, and you can't go to the James Joyce Tower and Museum, there's another one at the James Joyce Center. Of course there is. Uh And speaking of statues, Joe, um, they're, like I said, something a little bit less creepy. There's a statue of Joyce, um, which is one of Dublin's most iconic monuments. He's leaning on a cane, sort of, with one hand in his pocket, and the nickname of the statue that the Dubliners have given him is The Prick with the Stick. That is... uh, There you have it, huh? Yeah, that kind of shows Dubliners' attitude towards (laughs) Joyce and towards statues in general. Oh, Um, There was another statue. This has nothing to do with literature or writers or poets, but there was another um, statue in Ireland for a while. It was a little bit risque, but they called it... It was a 
I think it was like a mermaid in a bath kind of I don't know what Weird. it was about or what the reason was behind it Weird. but they called her the floozy in the jacuzzi <laughs> so <laughs> this is a, a thing that Dubliners <laughs> go with I think and it's using their own literary genius to give nicknames to statues I guess, so, oh my gosh yeah. A student of Joyce's, so his protege, you could say, is a man by the name of Samuel Beckett. This 20th century Irish novelist, playwright, and poet's most famous piece is the play Waiting for Godot. His plays aren't written along traditional lines um, with the conventional plot, and I think that's what set him apart. Instead, he focuses on essential elements of the human condition, with a bit of dark humor, and he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1969, but declined accepting it personally because he didn't want to be in public and I don't know one of those introverted types which is understandable understandable we have about 10 more writers and poets to blow through and we don't have enough time to dedicate to all of them yes but we love them all we are naming as many of them as we can we just want to mention them so don't be mad at us (laughs) if we we don't give enough time to your favorite writer but Jonathan Swift who famously wrote Gulliver's Travels and A Modest Proposal also Irish also Irish and he was around this was long before the literary revival he was around in the 16 and 1700s and A Modest Proposal was a satirical essay uh, in 1729 the longer version of the title (gasps) A Modest Proposal for preventing the children of poor people from being a burden to their parents or country and for making them beneficial to the public so you can see why you, they might have shortened down a bit. that a little bit. A bit, yes. And that is basically, it's a satirical um, take on where he suggests that impoverished Irish people's economic troubles might lessen if they sold their children as food for Ooh. the English, which is... Parents <laughs> of the Year rough, Award, right? Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> His other one is Gulliver's Travels, and that's believed to have been inspired by Cave Hill in Belfast, which is... Cave Hill is a beautiful cliff that overlooks the Belfast Lock and much of the city. You should go see it, and everybody. you can visit it in Belfast. Indeed. Another writer that I like, and this is fast-forwarding nearly 300 years, 250 years anyway, is Brendan Behan. And he was a poet, short story writer, novelist, and playwright. Really, really talented, but really, really troubled guy. He was born in... And that's... All the best writers are like that. They say there's a, you know, a fine line. struggling... Yes. Emotionally, yes. And there's also a fine line between genius and insanity or whatever exactly. you know so that's I, I feel like with Tapping artists and all that. that like it's taps into that too mm-hmm. yeah so he was born in Dublin and became a member of the IRA's youth organization early on and he joined the, the full IRA at 16 and because of this he served time in a Borstal youth prison um, for I think it was carrying explosives or something like that kind of a no-no yeah so one of his more famous works is actually an autobiographical novel based on his time called Borstal boy, based on his time in that youth prison. Um, as I said, troubled soul, um, living in a time that was not very accepting of his differences. His differences being he struggled with alcoholism and he was gay. So a lot of people were not comfortable with that. So yeah, being excellent stuff. The I have read Borstal Boy, but I've also seen the movie based on the book, and I oh. remember that a little bit better. The movie is actually very good. Really, you never hear that. Worth the watch. You know, the yeah, book's I'm, I'm always not, better. I'm not saying it's better. I just don't really. I can't remember when I even read the book. I just okay. know I did, and okay. the, the movie just sticks with me a little more for some reason. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Moving on to a woman, another woman who was very strong within this uh, movement. She was not a poet, but she was associated with a lot of these people. 
Her name was Countess Markovich. She was actually sentenced to life in prison due to her role in the Easter Rising, which we mentioned a little bit earlier. Her involvement with this movement began when she founded the United Artists Club, and it was initially just an attempt to bring artistic Dubliners together. There was no political agenda behind it. She got involved in nationalist politics, and through her involvement with Ireland's independence, she grew to be seen as a hero, a martyr, and a role model for all who supported the movement. Yeah, and as we said, they're not a poet, but she was related to, in or not related to, but she was friends with she was a, a lot part of, of that crowd. everybody in, in the literary revival Absolutely. and was a huge, huge part of it. Absolutely. Another, another writer that we love, and like we said, we wish we could talk about all of these people for hours and hours, is Oscar Wilde. Uh, we're sure you've heard of him. Irish playwright, novelist, and poet, best known for his works The Picture of Dorian Gray and The Importance of Being Earnest. You can find a statue of him the next time you're in Dublin in Marion Square Park across the street of his childhood home. And I have to say, I've seen photos of this, and he has this strange look on his face where he's like... He's either contemplating something or he's being sarcastic. You just don't know. It's one you have to see for yourself, I think. Good. Yes. We don't even have time to get into John B. Keane and Ivan Boland, but they are also two that we had highlighted. <laughs> um, and you should definitely check out some of their works, too. Seamus Heaney was a big one. He died in 2013. He was another one of the Irish poets who received a Nobel Prize in Literature in 1995, and one of his works, Midterm Break, is possibly Ireland's favourite poem, and if it's not Ireland's favourite poem, it's Ireland's favourite sad poem. It deals with um, the death of his younger brother, his four-year-old brother, who was Mm. knocked down and killed by a car, and it is so sad, but so beautifully written and just kind of touches or clutches the heartstrings of so many yeah, people. It's um, four year old little boy. It is. It's an, a really excellent poem. He was born in Derry in Northern Ireland and was originally an English teacher before mm. he began to write. A name that we have to mention for sure is C.S. Lewis. Born in Belfast, he was a big fan of Yeats and met him in person. There's something Lewis said once about Yeats and how the Englishmen were not too fond of him. And the quote goes like this. Perhaps his appeal is purely Irish. If so, then thank the gods that I am Irish. Which made me laugh a little bit. His series, The Chronicles of Narnia, is said to get much of its influence from the Mourn Mountains. I remember um, driving back from um, Dublin once. I was on a bus and I look out my window and I see these beautiful, green, luscious, absolutely gorgeous mountains and I had no idea what they were. Sure enough, Mourn Mountains, so can't fault Lewis there. Um, Some Lewis locations you may want to check out are East Belfast, where he spent much of his childhood. There's C.S. Lewis Square, where sculptures uh, based on the characters from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe are found. And there's another sculpture called The Searcher, which is located in Belfast as well. And it depicts C.S. Lewis as he was in 1919, opening a wardrobe. You can also check out Queen's University that has a C.S. Lewis reading room in the library, featuring a replica of the wardrobe, carpets, and a central table based on Narnia themes. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a few more um more recent writers and poets that we would like to talk about. Edna O'Brien is an Irish novelist, playwright, and poet who is still working today. 
and you should check her out. <laughs> Cullum Tobin, we talked a little bit about last week. He actually wrote the book Brooklyn, which the movie that I'm obsessed with is based on. And he wrote, obviously wrote another, a number of other um, books too. Frank McCourt, he did die seven or eight years ago, but he won a Pulitzer Prize for his book Angela's Ashes, based on the sad times of his childhood, and is best known for this and the follow-up to that, which is called Tis. And I actually read Angela's Ashes when I was 11, which is probably... 11! Probably 10 years before you're supposed to read Angela's <laughs> Ashes, because it's... <laughs> It's not the cleanest book that you'll ever read, but uh, (laughs) I remember I was reading it on a plane on the way to Canada when I was 11, and there was an old lady sitting beside me, and she was gobsmacked that I was was reading it. I think so. And one other author I would like to highlight, because he was somewhat important to my childhood and my love for reading his own Colfer, and he is the author of the Artemis Fowl series. Um, but what I remember him for is his two books, Benny and Omar and Benny and Babe. Benny and Omar is about a young boy in Wexford whose family have to move to Tunisia, or Tunisia as they seem to pronounce it in the US. He befriends a guy around the same age as him, a local called Omar, and they get up to all sorts of hijinks and oh. have a lot of fun together, and it's it's just a really good book. Very good. Well, let's say you want an overview of many writers. You don't want to just go to one place or what have you. There is the Dublin Writers Museum, which is ready and waiting for you to attend and take a tour. It's situated in a magnificent 18th century mansion in the North City Centre. It features the lives and works of Dublin's literary celebrities over the past 300 years. Literary celebrities? I think I probably count as one of them, Captain, because... Uh, <laughs> I, I forgot actually, about this, Joe. I, <laughs> I always, actually oh, won a prize I and was, right was awarded the prize in Dublin Writers Museum ten years ago now. I was, yeah, I was 18 at the time. So you're not really like, a, like an up-on-the-times literary celebrity. That's the only... You're like that's a... my only claim to fame, <laughs> <laughs> is that... Uh, uh, the Irish magazine, Hot Press magazine, it's a big music magazine in Ireland, ran a competition. <laughs> I was one of the, like, 20 winners, I think it was, so they brought all of us up to the Writers' Museum and uh, cool. gave us, I think it was like 100 euro and a certificate or something, it wasn't worth the, the gas to drive Aww, up, to be honest. But you're bragging, but, right? Yeah, and uh, one of my, a musician that I really like presented me with the prize which was nice so I had that photo until I don't nice. have it anymore so yeah. you don't have it anymore I don't know where it is or whatever. one of my ah. friends took it and I have oh no my idea gosh her. well get new friends that's awful <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes this is a great place to get an overview about literary Ireland and see a lot of it for yourself the Dublin Writers Museum there you have it something else worth attending is the Listowel Writers Week this year they will have their 46th annual one uh, which is happening at the end of May and spans through into June. It's an internationally acclaimed literary festival that's devoted to bringing writers and audiences together. You'll find innovative events in historic and intimate surroundings in Listowel and County Kerry. A series of workshops are provided, uh, ranging from short stories, beginner's creative writing, advanced creative writing, comedy writing, memoir, etc. It's pretty much all there for you. Uh, if you want to go to Ireland but you don't want to dedicate all of your time on poets and writers but you still want to get, you know, <laughs> Which is let's say you kind of enjoyed this and you want to learn a little bit more yes. from somebody who might know a little more, um, there is a Dublin literary pub crawl. So it doesn't take up too much time and it also allows you to see the city mm-hmm. and 
you can have a drink or two while you're doing it. But you will be led around by a guy who really, really knows his stuff and quotes at ease from uh, Joyce Bean, Beckett, Yates, and even James Larkin and Flann O'Brien, who we didn't mention, and just gives you so much interesting insight into the time and the people and the writers, but also the city of Dublin and... As I said, you can also have a couple of drinks on the way. I was going to say, also, you have beer, so not too bad. Yeah. Well, to kind of wrap up our talk about these writers, I want to share a quote from Dubliners. And Dubliners was written by? James Joyce, yes. The quote goes, I wanted real adventures to happen to me, but real adventures, I reflected, do not happen to people who remain at home. They must go abroad. Um, that quote comes from the short story An Encounter, and as I said, it's in Dubliners. Very nice. And it means something to me, and I think many people who wish to travel and wish to have adventures and expand maybe their understanding of the world and go out and do things and, and see culture. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a lovely quote indeed. I hear that. Yes. Moving on to our... One of my favorite segments, I guess. Looks like it's time for Slang or Shite, Joe. Sure is. And sure I'm is. interested to see what you've got for me today. Okay, so let's see here. I don't have any fill in the blanks. I just have... Oh, that's kind of disappointing. <laughs> wow. I just have tell me if it's Slang or Shite, okay? Fair enough. All right. My night turned out totally hatchet in the end. And hatchet meaning really great. Spell... H-A-T-C-H-E-T. Hatchet. Hatchet. Uh, awful. <laughs> awful is in this is an awful one Bo- to both. give you? Yeah, no, okay. this is, that covers both. It's an awful one to give me, and hatchet means awful, but also, I, I would say it might be used in Dublin, but no, for me, it's shite. Shite? Okay. Number two. I left the waiter a zonk for a tip and left. Zonk, meaning one pound coin. Again, not in Galway. Shite. <laughs> Ireland slang just just got really small and we crunched <laughs> it down to Galway slang. <laughs> well, you said a pound, so is it is it before the euro came in or is it used in Northern Ireland? That's the question I have. Mm, so, interesting yeah. indeed. Shite. Okay, and number three, the Kirk. Spending time with him is usually the Kirk. Shite. Fun times. Yeah. Where are you coming up with these? <laughs> I can give you the link. I can give you the link. Okay, Awful. well, um, I don't all, know. All of them are slang. They actually, so. they actually are. But maybe this is a learning lesson, and that maybe this is one of those websites that has all kinds of stuff out there that's just pulling stuff out of their ass, and you are correct in this sense. I don't know. I would just... I would trust you over some website that told me this is what Irish people Which say. Which was the original meaning for slang and shite. Yes, and then <laughs> I don't, and then like we tried to stump me, and then now I was trying to now stump you. Now we don't you. even know what we're doing anymore. We don't really know. <laughs> if you have ideas, you can let us know. Maybe we'll have to retire the segment. We may, but I still enjoy it nonetheless. I'm still a fan. One segment we are not retiring anytime soon. It's Caitlin at Conch. Woohoo! And again, I've stopped trying to stump Caitlin, and I'm just trying to teach but her. But I've started Irish taking now. notes. So. But she's completely stopped trusting me and is second-guessing herself all the time <laughs> when she's trying to. So here we are, Caitlin Couch, episode 11. Woo-hoo. Slideshow presentation coming up. Wow. You've got 10 seconds to do this. Kay. Don't forget. Okay. Three, two, one. York fade on fair sale ask 
Garkwood. Not, not great. Not, not, ter- great. not, ter- not terrible, not great. <laughs> okay. Oh, jeez. Ikfi on far sha os gokrud. Wow. Yeah. Ikfi on far sha os gokrud. Okay. Rud without the th. Rud. Rud. Yeah, rud. That's why I put in the th. Weird. It's not rud. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Is this related to the topic that we were talking about? Not at all. This is something you might. This is something you might say when you're out to dinner on a probably on a Tinder date or something like that. Not that I know. Anything you want to go back to my place? <laughs> <laughs> wow. No. Okay. Uh, let's see. You can pay the check this time. Very close. Really? Very close. I'm actually going to show you what it is for that. The gentleman will pay for everything. There you go. Okay. Okay. So, ich fee is will pay. On fair show is this man or this gentleman. Okay. And Gachrud is everything. Gachrud. 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 Is everything. So there you go. Okay. Do you want to try and say it once more? Ishfi. Ikfi. Ikfi on. Far. Far. Sha as Gachrud. Pretty good. Good? Good enough? We'll we'll leave it at that. Good enough for government work. That's what my aunt always says. (laughs) Okay, cool. Let's shut this thing down with some pots and plans. Let's, I forgot about that. I was just so taken back <laughs> by this. Okay, yes. We have some pots and plans for you. Our tour of the week is Wandering Angus. It has you flying into Dublin and out of Shannon. What is this tour? Kit? Yes, this tour focuses mainly on Yates and Yates Country, which is where the Wandering Angus came from. And I believe Yates had a poem called Wandering that's Angus. That's why I called the tour. Okay, that's, that's what I was thinking there, <laughs> picking up what you're putting down. This tour gives you three nights in Galway. Um, you can see fun places like the Cliffs of Moher and Connemara, but we're most excited about seeing Cool Park and Thor Ballylee. Then you get three nights in Sligo, Yates country. Uh, take a look all around there. You can drive up and down, take some beautiful photos, and explore places like Donegal as well. Then your last three nights, you're in Dublin, where so many of Ireland's most talented writers have connections. Uh, let's say you take a day, you walk around Patrick Cavanaugh's bench, take sit down, take some photos, explore the sights. Then you can check out James Joyce's statue and see a show at the Abbey Theatre, because why not? And last but not least, you can tour the Dublin Writers Museum and have that Dublin there's probably pub. There's probably a poster of me up there somewhere from my <laughs> time of being famous. And, and the night with that Dublin pub crawl, uh, which yes. I want to do. I'm <laughs> really jealous I did not do this. Uh, As we say, this is a self-drive tour, so if you want to incorporate other destinations, you have the freedom to do that. You can simply take your car and go where you please. These are just suggestions we have thrown together, but we're happy to throw out more suggestions as well and answer any questions you have as you go. We understand that you might not want to see every single literary connection in Ireland. You may want to see one or two and then go do anything else on your mind, which is perfectly okay. So we are here for that. You can find this tour, as well as the others that we've mentioned in past episodes, at crystal-travel.com slash reasons. Boom. And I think that's all we have for you today, right, Joe? It sure is. So we hope, we know Josh will, we hope you stay tuned for reason number 12, which is coming out Monday, April 3rd. And now, Joe, if you'd be so kind as to give us a drum roll here, reason number 12 is... Music! And that encompasses... 
every kind of music you can think of yes. with any sort of Irish anything. Indeed. We thank you so much for listening, and we want to remind you to visit 50reasonspodcast.com for upcoming episodes and show notes. Follow us on Facebook at 50 Reasons Podcast and on Twitter at 50 Reasons Pod. Please, 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 please. Please subscribe, rate, <laughs> review, listen, share with your friends on iTunes. You'll find us at 50 Reasons to Visit Ireland there. Yes, please, please, please. We'll love you forever. Until next time. Slow and